0: Well, we take a lot of things for granted in life, don't we? And that's not always a bad thing. I mean, in fact, if we aren't taking some things for granted, it might be evidence that we're suffering from a severe case of paranoia and we're starting to come unwound. I mean, for example, imagine how crazy I would look if I stopped taking gravity for granted. Before every step that I was about to take, I would make a careful Rechecking to make sure gravity was there, to make sure I wasn't going to float off into space the minute I moved. Or what if I wasn't taking air for granted so that every time I took a breath, I checked to make sure air was still there before I took a breath in case I You think I was losing it. Well, we began a study through the letter of 1 Peter last time, and we got through the first two verses, which tell us who wrote the letter, who the letter is written to, and then it gives a short greeting and blessing to the readers. Now, although that sounds pretty simple on the surface, we saw that Peter managed to introduce some pretty important truths in those first two verses. Three of those truths, which I hoped that you would remember and reflect on this past week, were these. First is, you are chosen, which means that you are dearly loved by your Heavenly Father. Second, this is not your home. You are a stranger, a pilgrim, a temporary resident here, Christian. We are looking forward to the city whose architect and builder is God. And third, the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, creating in you the character and the nature of Jesus, our Savior. We cooperate and we participate in in the good work that the Lord is doing in our life by obeying him. Okay, well today we're going to get into the actual body of the letter. So if you have your Bible, please make your way over to 1 Peter if you haven't already done that. 1 Peter will be in the first chapter. And Peter, he begins with words in verse 3, writing this. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He then goes on to explain what he's praising God for and what we ought to be praising God for. What is the subject and focus of his praising being offered to God? Our salvation. Our salvation. Now, at first glance, when you hear that, it might sound a bit anticlimactic. I mean, maybe you are expecting some big thing that you'd never heard of before. But Peter is making an important point that we don't want to miss, for the Christian the Jesus follower, keeping our salvation at the forefront of our mind rather than pushing it to the background where we put things that we take for granted, like gravity and air. It makes a huge difference in how we live life. Remembering how amazing our salvation is changes our perspective about virtually everything in this life. And we truly can say from our heart the same thing that Peter does. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation. Well, it's my hope and prayer that we will have a renewed appreciation for our salvation today as we look at this passage from Peter's letter. So beginning in verse 3, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Look at how Peter describes our salvation. He begins by saying he calls our salvation a new birth. Jesus, you might remember, told Nicodemus in John chapter 3 3, that no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. That idea of being born again, that's something that Jesus Christ introduced. We must be brought to life by the Spirit of God. Salvation is not simply a refurbishment of our existing life. It's not just a remodeled job. Putting a new coat of paint on the walls of our life, having some new tile work done in the bathroom area, resurfacing the kitchen cabinets, having the floors redone, No, the Lord doesn't just go through our life and make some touch-ups, a few modifications, dress things up here and there. Salvation is a new life. We are born all over again. In fact, we were once dead and we are now alive, it tells us. Ephesians 2, 4, for example, it says, Because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. Peter describes our salvation as a living hope. People put their hope in all kinds of things. An important question to ask about what we're putting our hope in is can the thing being hoped in reach across the chasm of death? Will the thing being hoped in give us life forever? Hebrews 6.19 describes the hope that we have in Jesus Christ as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. What's the purpose of an anchor? We throw it over the side of the boat, and it goes down to the bottom of the lake, and it secures the boat from drifting and being carried away by the winds and the waves on the surface. We're like a boat on the surface of the water, constantly being pushed around by the winds and waves of this life. But we have an anchor that keeps us firm and secure, our living hope, our new life, our salvation in Jesus Christ. This is a living hope. It's it's not something uh, that we only look forward to, but it's something that is even now at work in our life. It is an active thing. It's life-producing. It's life-changing. It's life-strengthening. Now how do we get this salvation, this new birth, this living hope? It tells us here that it is given to us because of the tender-hearted love of God. His great mercy has given us this. It comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus has overcome humanity's greatest obstacle, death, making it possible for us to have a new birth, a living hope, which reaches a cross. This chasm of death. This is a real hope that does something that really matters. We go from life to life in Jesus Christ. All that is said in verse 3. Well, verse 4, he continues, he says here, new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's still the same sentence. Verse 4 continues the same sentence, and into an inheritance that can never perish spoil, or fade. Peter refers to our salvation as an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. What is an inheritance in this sense? It is a promised gift that will be received from another, usually after they have passed from this life. This inheritance, your salvation, is a promised gift that is yours. We're going to have to wait until our own passing from this life in order to fully receive this inheritance, but it's surely ours, and it's waiting for us. It tells us this is that this inheritance can never perish; it will never cease to exist. It is immortal. It is eternal. It is incorruptible. To use the old English term, this inheritance can never spoil. It tells us it's pure. It's undefiled. It's unpolluted. It won't ever go bad. It doesn't have an expiration date on it like a carton of milk. This inheritance can never fade. It will never lose its luster and shine. Its beauty and quality will never diminish. It is sparkling new without a blemish of any kind, and it's going to stay that way forever. Some of you leave that clear plastic film covering your electronic gear after you buy it, so it will stay like new condition. Now me, I tear that stuff right off. But I know some of you guys, you leave it on there, you know, because you want to keep it like new, even though it looks ugly the whole time you've got that on there. But you know, that's your thing. Some of you put a screen protector on your phone to keep it from getting scratched. Now I don't put those on there because I don't like the way it feels. And I think it makes my phone look ugly, but hey, you know, it's your thing. You want to keep your phone in pristine, new-like condition. Well, you know what? You don't have to worry about doing any of that with the inheritance that the Lord has for you. It will always be pristine. It cannot be damaged. Everything in this present world eventually perishes, spoils, or fades Left to itself, everything in this world eventually corrodes and just crumbles into the dust. But what we have waiting for us in heaven will never perish, spoil, or fade. And how do we know that our inheritance will never perish, spoil, or fade? Because it's being kept in heaven for us by the Lord himself, it tells us here. That word translated kept means to keep in the sense of preserving or watching over. God is keeping it for you. Things we care about in this world are vulnerable to being destroyed and lost and stolen. People purchase insurance to cover the possible loss of valuable things. Our inheritance in Christ, our salvation, the most valuable thing that we have can't be destroyed or stolen. It is being kept for us in heaven by the Lord, we have the greatest insurance policy in existence. Matthew six nineteen, Jesus said this. He said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin or rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin or rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 5, same sentence, he says, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, continues with the same sentence, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Who's being shielded by God's power here until the coming of the salvation? We are, you and me. The word translated shielded is a military term, which means to guard or to protect. We're being shielded, guarded, protected by God. Think about that. The creator of the universe, the almighty, the eternal one, the great. I am the judge of the living and the dead is watching over you and your inheritance. How does it make you feel to know that God is? God, very God, is guarding you, protecting you, watching over you, making sure that you're going to get home to receive your inheritance and making sure your inheritance is there for you when you get there. Let this be a comfort for you in those moments when you feel faithless and sinful and unworthy. You're going to make it Christian. Remember that your ups and your downs in this life, they don't determine the surety of your insure, the, the surety of your inheritance. The Lord's power does. You're not going to pass from this life, Christian, and find that your inheritance was misplaced or destroyed, lost, expired. It doesn't fit you anymore. It was accidentally given to someone else. It has a balance due on it that you need to pay before you can actually take advantage of it or any other heartbreaking, awful thing that you could think of that could take place. None of those things are going to happen. When you get to heaven, you're going to receive all that the Lord promised to you and it will exceed your expectations and your imaginings. Guaranteed. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. What is the all this that we greatly rejoice in? Well, it's all the stuff that we've just been talking about. Our salvation, our new birth, our living hope, our inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, knowing we are shielded, guarded, protected by God's power to the end. Now, although these things are all ours, In this life, where we are strangers, pilgrims, aliens, temporary residents, we don't have all of the comforts of home. Instead, we suffer grief and all kinds of trials, as Peter says here. These trials or testings are the difficult things that we face in this life. The troubles, the sufferings, the disappointments, the pains, the unfulfilled expectations and hopes, the heartbreaks. When we remember that we're not home yet, it makes sense that we would face some difficulties along the way. I mean, when I'm out camping, I know that I need to have a different set of expectations than I, than I would when I'm at home. When I'm out camping, it would be silly for me to be upset that none of the trees near my campsite, they don't have a light switch on them. Or that I am going to have to make do with a dirt floor. Or that there is no central heating and air conditioning to control the climate. It helps to remember that we're not home. We don't have all the comforts of home here because this is not home. Peter reminds us to have an eternal perspective about our life. He writes, though now for a little while... You may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. A little while, our sufferings in this life, they're only for a little while in comparison to our eternal future glory that lasts forever. This whole life is but a little while in comparison to our eternal glorious future with Jesus Christ. Difficulties are a part of this life for everyone whether we are a follower of Jesus or not. But for the Jesus follower, the Christian, these difficulties, they take on a whole new purpose that turns them ultimately into blessing. Look at what is said in the next verse, in verse seven. It says, these these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter tells us that the trials in our life, they have a purpose, that they are accomplishing something wonderful in our life. Our trials have a refining effect on our faith, he says, similar to the effect that fire has on gold, In in very simple terms, when heat is applied to gold, melting it, impurities in the matrix of that material are then released. The gold that remains after this refining process is of a much higher quality. In a similar way, the heat of trials applied to our life, it refines our faith, making it of a higher quality. Making... It result in praise, glory, and honor on the day that we are revealed. After all of this purifying process has been taking place, the work that God is accomplishing in our life is going to be glorious. Have you ever noticed that the most gracious, deep, tender, wise people that we have ever known, they are people who have been refined in the fires of life. I wish this refining could be done in some other way. I don't really want to have to go through that refining fire. But ease and comfort, they don't create depth in a person's soul. That comes through the refining fires of difficulty. James 1, 2, James wrote, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials, of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything verse 8 it says though you have seen though you have not seen him you love him and even though you do not see him now you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We have a very beautiful expression of our faith in Jesus Christ here. See, even though we have not ever seen Jesus, we love him. And that love for Jesus is an expression of our faith. Hebrews 11 says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Even though we don't see Jesus now, we believe in him, we trust him with our life, and we are filled with a joy that goes beyond words. What a beautiful expression of our faith in Jesus Christ this is. When it comes to Jesus Christ, for us it's not seeing is believing, but instead it's believing is seeing. This is the nature of faith. And the goal of our faith in Jesus Christ, the purpose of our faith in Jesus, the result of our faith in him is our salvation, it tells us here. Faith is not an end in itself. It's it's not enough to just have faith, as is so commonly stated in our time and culture. I mean, how many times have we heard that so-called truth spoken with tremendous conviction in a movie or TV show. You just have to have faith. And and I, I want to scream at the television every time. Faith in what? Faith in what? We need faith in Jesus Christ. And faith in Jesus Christ leads to results in salvation. Faith in faith is never going to lead to salvation. Faith in faith is an endless loop that just goes round and round, leading to nowhere. We need faith in something outside of ourselves, something that transcends this world, something that can carry us to a completely different outcome. And that something is Jesus Christ, God the Son, who entered our world to rescue us. The old Christians of centuries ago called our faith, our spiritual optic. Faith is our eyes into the spiritual realm. Faith is our hands that take hold of our promises in Jesus Christ. Verse 10, Peter writes, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Peter closes this section of his letter with these very interesting and Intriguing remarks about the interest that the Old Testament prophets and the very angels of God have in the salvation of humanity, which God has accomplished through the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christian, you are living in the days of fulfilled prophecy. You are living in the days hoped for and prayed for by God's people for centuries. Even angels long to look into these things. Christian, don't take your salvation for granted. I want you to realize what an amazing thing it is that you have been given. The angels of God long to look into these things. The saving of rebellious, sinful, lost, damaged people through the sacrificial death of God the Son has been and continues to be a fascination. Or the very angels of God. Think about that. You are a miracle that the angels of God are just fascinated by. Well, in closing, Christian, remember what you've been given, remember what God is doing in your life. Remember where you are headed. Remember what is waiting for you. Remember that your trials and difficulties are accomplishing something wonderful in your life. I want to share with you, and this is a, kind of an extended reading. I want you to hang in there because this is a beautiful piece. Uh, this is a, a little piece pulled from an essay by A.W. Tozer called, Praise God for the furnace. So try to hang in there as I read these uh, few paragraphs. He writes, The old Scottish saint, Samuel Rutherford, could shout in the midst of serious and painful trials, praise God for the hammer and the file and the furnace. The hammer is a useful tool, but the nail if it had feeling and intelligence, would present another side of the story. For the nail knows the hammer only as an opponent, a brutal, merciless enemy who lives to pound it into submission, to beat it down out of sight and clinch it into place. That's the nail's view of the hammer. And it's accurate, except for one thing. The nail forgets that both it and the hammer are servants of the same workman. Let the nail but remember that the hammer is held by the workman and all resentment toward it will disappear. The carpenter decides whose head shall be beaten next and what hammer shall be used in the beating. That is his sovereign right. When the nail has surrendered to the will of the workman and has gotten a little glimpse of his Wonderful plans for its future, it will yield to the hammer without complaint. The file is more painful still, for its business is to bite into the soft metal, scraping and eating away the edges till it has shaped the metal to its will. Yet the file has, in truth, no real will in the matter, but serves another master, as the metal also does, It's the master and not the file that decides how much shall be eaten away, what shape the metal shall take, and how long the painful filing shall continue. Yet the metal accepted the will of the master, and it will not try to dictate when and how it shall be filed. As for the furnace, it's the worst of all, ruthless and savage. It leaps at Every combustible thing that enters it and never relaxes its fury till it has reduced it all to shapeless ashes. All that refuses to burn is melted to a mass of helpless matter without will or purpose of its own. When everything is melted that will melt and all is burned that will burn, then and not till then, the furnace calms down and rests from its destructive fury. With all of this known to him, how could Rutherford find it in his heart to praise God for the hammer, the file, and the furnace? The answer is simply that he loved the master of the hammer. He adored the workman who wielded the file. He worshipped the Lord who heated the furnace for the everlasting blessing of his children. 1 Peter 1.7, we read this today. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. In 2 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs all of them. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Father, we want to be people of such character that we thank you for the hammer, the file, and the furnace as you do your beautiful, refining work in our life. Help us to trust you, Lord. Help us to embrace you and all that you're doing in our life, knowing that you have an eternal inheritance that you are protecting and guarding for us that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Father, I ask that you would fill your people with a hope this morning, a living hope, In this new birth that you have given us through Jesus Christ, our salvation is a wonderful, amazing thing. May it fill us with faith and courage, perseverance and joy. In Jesus' name, amen.